just pause and take a moment to soak in all we have already received. This is a special place. It's very special to be with you today. So in our Song of Summer series, we come to the 23rd Psalm. Probably the best known psalm, um, maybe scripture piece in the world. It's well known, in, well loved in the Jewish culture and well loved in the Christian culture. It has been comfort to people in times of death. It has been repeated by soldiers in um, battle. And so we're going to look at it today, and I would encourage you each to take a fresh reading of it this week. I'd love it if you'd read it every day this week. I'm not going to be able to touch all that's in these rich six verses, but I want to share some of it with you. So the 23rd Psalm um, has three scenes in it. The first scene is this bucolic scene where we meet the shepherd and his sheep beside still waters in verdant pastures. And then the second scene changes where the sheep are led through a dark valley, a deep valley. And then there's a third scene, the scene that I like to call the Father's house. Now, the 23rd Psalm um, there are some different takes on when this was written. Um, it, to me, has all the earmarks of a true Davidic psalm being written by David. But some people think they're not sure when it was written. Some think maybe it was written during those 14 years he was a fugitive being chased by King Saul. And certainly that experience uh, is, is seen in this psalm. And the second uh, a major thought among um, Bible scholars is that this may have been written during his second time as a fugitive when he was being chased by his own son Absalom and um, had to be a fugitive of his own palace. Whatever the timing, it's obvious that those difficult situations um, brought the, found, were, provided the foundation for this rich and meaningful psalm. So I have my own history with this psalm, and I learned this psalm as a memory verse, at least the first verse of it, when I was a very little girl, um, and I read it, learned it in the King James Version. Now, how many of you know that kids don't always understand things right? Do you? Like, so, I, I used to sing, uh, a, I used to wonder about a Christmas song um, that said um, that we perspire by the fire. <laughs> and when I sang that, um, when I sang the alphabet as a very small child, I was certain there was a very big letter in the middle of the alphabet that was called elemental P. Elemental P. 
<laughs> Did any of you have that experience when you were kids? That you thought LMNOP was one big letter? Well, you did. See, you did. Yeah, it happens. So um, when I read, uh, learned the Lord is my shepherd, I felt kind of sacrilegious about it because it said the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. And I wondered, why wouldn't I want the Lord is my shepherd? I have this wonderful little, you know, pictorial memory verse card. Okay, this is dating me, but that's okay, you know. Back in the day, we used to have these little memory verse cards, and they would have the memory verse on it. And my memory verse card had a beautiful picture of Jesus as a shepherd holding a little lamb with his staff and looking at the lamb so lovingly, and it said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I just didn't know why I didn't want him. But you know, recently, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to my heart, and I've realized there are days that I act like I almost don't want the Lord as my shepherd. And it's not because I don't love Jesus. It's just that sometimes I haven't known how to be a sheep. And so this morning I wanna share with you, or maybe we're afternoon here now, I want to share with you a little bit about what I've been learning from the Shepherd's Psalm about being a sheep and receiving the care of a loving shepherd. And my prayer is that somewhere, somehow, in something I say, you will be called closer to your shepherd. So let's take a moment together. I want to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us now. Lord, I, I see your precious flock here and online. Every one of us is known to you. I ask now that you would give us your Holy Spirit that we might recognize afresh and more deeply how loved we are as the sheep of your pasture. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. So, the very first phrase of this wonderful psalm is, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, it's not unusual to hear about shepherds in ancient literature, and very often they were leaders or kings. Even the Hammurabi Code has uh, Hammurabi styling himself as a king. So the Lord, Yahweh, as shepherd is not too unusual for the people of Israel. But the unique thing about this is that in all the Psalms, we don't hear this intimate, this intimate appellation as we do hear shepherd. Often we hear of my deliverer, my rock, my son and my shield, but my shepherd, it gives a different feel, doesn't it? My shepherd. And that little word, my shepherd. You see, uh, people of ancient, the ancient people would say that maybe their king or their leader was the shepherd. But to say my shepherd is quite a unique thing. So what does it mean that the Lord 
is our shepherd or my shepherd? Well, this verse is taken based upon ancient um, shepherding practices. Not like today, where sheep are driven from behind with um, dogs yapping at their, at their heels to make them stay in order. The ancient shepherd went out before his sheep. The ancient shepherd was not a rancher who managed his sheep. He was a shepherd who lived with his sheep. The ancient shepherd endured heat and chill, weariness and thirst with the flock. Now what about this, these sheep? Well, you know, domestic sheep are really, can be difficult animals to keep. They're very vulnerable animals. They're vulnerable to disease. Um, they're vulnerable to in the environment. In fact, they are just really easy prey. And because sheep are relatively undiscerning, that is, as one shepherd I read online says, they make silly decisions. <laughs> um, sheep can easily be, uh, can easily get in danger. In fact, they need help just knowing how to feed or where to drink water or how to lamb. Even their instincts um, as a you with a new lamb need the assistance of a trusted shepherd because they don't always have their instincts with them. Now, our Jesus identified himself as a shepherd when he was here on earth. I love the chapter John 10, and I've often spent time in it thinking about him and um, his relation to us as a shepherd. As a shepherd, rather than managing from afar, a good shepherd, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, a good shepherd comes to live with the sheep. And that's exactly what our Jesus did. He came to live with us. That was not necessary, I don't think, for God to save us, but he had a very special reason that he came to live with us. And he didn't live in a nice ranch house while the sheep were out on the flock, so to speak, out on, this, out on the uh, wild. He lived with us, experiencing what we experienced as sheep, as people. John 10 says that he's well acquainted with the flock and the flock trusts him. Verse four says he calls each sheep by name. That's remarkable. And after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. This voice of the shepherd is very important. I learned that sheep are actually very keen on knowing who they can trust and who they can't trust. They know their shepherd by his smell or by her voice. And so Jesus knew sheep well when he described the situation. As our good shepherd, he protects his sheep whatever it costs him. I am the good shepherd Jesus declared, and the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. 
You see, someone who's a hireling doesn't know the sheep individually. And so if a wolf shows up, Jesus said, they just run away and protect themselves, leaving the sheep um, at, at, you know, at the mercy of the predators. But Jesus is no such shepherd. He knows where to take us, to feed us. He knows how to care for us. Surely it is true. The Lord is my shepherd. We lack nothing in his care. A good shepherd knows that he needs to bond with his sheep. His sheep need to have a relationship with him. I think it's pretty unusual, this story that um, that Pastor Linda told about uh, sheep just coming up and nuzzling her because generally sheep run away from people that they don't know. Um, so Pastor Linda must have good sheep vibes. <laughs> but Jesus um, knew that they never follow a stranger. He said in verse 5 of chapter John 10, um, they run away from him but they because they, they don't recognize the stranger's voice. So it's very important that a shepherd spend time with the sheep um, because, for example, if, they, if the shepherd needs to direct the sheep other than the sheep's will is to, you know, direction that the sheep wills to go, it needs to be that trusting relationship. And when it comes to lambing time, I learned that sometimes, as I said, the ewes don't really know how to mother their lambs. So sometimes the shepherd has to intervene and put them together in a separate um, pen so that the mother and the baby um, develop a relationship and a rapport that will save the baby's, the, the little lamb's life. Love invites trust. All real obedience and true following arises out of bonding. And Jesus said, his sheep know his voice and they come to him. When we allow the shepherd to love us, we realize that he has loved us with an everlasting love. And he draws us with little kindnesses. If we pay attention, he's always sending little kindnesses to us. And that kind of, um, of love invites trust. And that trust means that I can follow him. I can follow him wherever he goes, wherever he leads me. Now, where he leads is he causes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me Beside quiet waters, he refreshes my soul. I like the old King James. He restores my soul. I have been in times where I needed to be restored. My soul needed restoration. Have you ever felt that? You have a shepherd who's interested in that. He's not one that pushes us or pulls us or prods us. He cares about us the whole of us. Now, sheep um, don't know what they need, but the shepherd knows what he needs, what they need. And sheep can easily spook, so the shepherd knows they need to have 
just quiet places, gentle places, green pastures and still water because running water scares them, it spooks them. You know, as I meditated on this psalm, thinking about my Lord Jesus knowing everything that I need, I've discovered that so often the things that I long for and the things that I need may be the very things I avoid. Mm, I'm truly a sheep. You know, my mind puts out a lot of propaganda against stillness. And I wonder if you can relate to this. Thoughts run through my head something like this. There's so much yet to do. I just need to get this next thing done. Or, oh, I'd like that. I'd, I'd love to just slow down. But maybe someday my life will slow down enough that I can. It's really easy to delay quietude for more convenient timing, to push through and try to get stuff done. The interesting thing is that more convenient time rather rarely comes. And so I must learn to follow, to lie down, and to drink. It takes a lot of reprioritizing sometimes to follow the shepherd to his green pastures and quiet waters. Earlier this year, a friend gave me a verse from Isaiah 30, verse 15, and it said, In quiet and confidence shall you find your strength. In returning and rest shall you be saved. I liked that part. But then the verse goes on but you would have none of it. I was convicted. I needed to reprioritize. I needed stillness. I needed to be still and know that he is God. That is not an option. It is not a suggestion. It comes to us in Psalm 46 as a command. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. Being still can be the most difficult thing that we can do. It's hard to be still. So I started the beginning of this year with some new, I wanted to make some new habits. And so I was reading this book I said, I need to be still. Just even a minute a day or three minutes a day, just start the day being still. I had the hardest time. And some of you may know that I had the privilege of being on a sabbatical for eight weeks um, in um, May and July. And it took me the first five weeks to just get the first word because I have become a human doing, not a human being. And so I needed to just be. So often we push away the love of God. And you know how we do it? One way we do it is right here. We're so judgmental of ourselves. 
We're always worried about what we should do. Did we do it right? Even when we pray, did we pray right? Did I say the first thing? Oh, shoot, I was going to thank him first before I asked for anything. I really don't think God worries about that. It's wonderful to thank God. It heals our souls, and it puts us in the right perspective. But God just says, come, be, be with me as you are. And that is perhaps the most difficult spiritual discipline any of us faces. Be. Be still. Be still. Then we can know that he's God. Then we can know he has control. First we have to know we are okay with him. He loves us. Friends, we stand in a grace that is so powerful. Through Jesus Christ, we stand in a place of grace. We have peace with God. There is nothing we have to do to commend ourselves. We can just be and receive his love. And so we all need that stillness. We all need that stillness. And hurry, worry, and bossiness are the, uh, busyness, oh, I said bossiness, maybe I'm bossy too. <laughs> hurry, worry, and busyness are the, the three kind of cardinal sins for me um, that steal my peace. You know, I've had to learn to slow down my pace. When I drive the freeway, I don't have to be ahead of that person, right? Oh, I hear some chuckles. Do you experience this too? You know? And, and, and you, we all have these times where we see someone else race ahead of us, you know, maybe even risking us, our, our well-being and their own well-being, to the stoplight so they can wait three seconds ahead of me for the same wait. But we, we need to still ourselves and calm ourselves and realize that hurry is a sickness and it robs our soul of the peace that Jesus would give us. Worry can be our natural response. When bad things happen, it's easier to worry than pray sometimes for me. But the Jesus told me, I can choose to trust him. I can calm myself when something difficult happens. And I can listen to the peace he put inside my heart. Peace I leave with you. Remember? My peace I give you. Not as this world gives. Let not your hearts be troubled. Pastor Starley, you don't know what I'm facing right now. That's true. But our God's peace is equal and more abundant. So peace, be still, quiet yourself. And lastly, just, we need sanctuary. We live in a culture that is obsessed with productivity and it costs us hours of balanced living. And Americans are very well known for this. So we have this pressure all around us. It's part of how we're acculturated from childhood on. 
We live in a culture of distraction as well. We're a caffeinated culture. We feed on excitement and stimulation and quiet can sometimes feel frightening. As a culture, we avoid it like a plague. When was the last time you went out to eat and there was no loud music playing? Or bought groceries to quietude? We just bombard ourselves with so much noise inside and out. Pastor Mike and I had the joy of going um, up into the mountains over the 4th of July and we're like, ah, oh, We'll just get away from the fireworks, take our little doggy who gets so scared from all those firework noises. And we were, um, we were intrigued to find people who would pay money, find a good campsite, set it up, and then blare the radio for, I, I just can't get that. I, I don't get that um, for hours. And, and not be able to hear the wind in the trees or the birds singing around them. Just um, blare the radio. We're afraid of, of quiet. But it's, very, it's a very, very difficult neurological task for us, for our brains that are constantly hyper-stimulated to be still. And often it is only utter exhaustion that stills us. We desperately need to unplug. Our very health depends on it. We need sanctuary. Listen to this. Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. I'd like you to hear that from Jesus to you. Let's go off for, by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Jesus said this to his disciples, his first block, because they were so pressed in ministry, doing good things, that they didn't even have time to eat or, or drink or rest. And Jesus, as the good shepherd, invited them to sanctuary we need protected time with our shepherd and with our own souls. You know, the, uh, some of the Native Americans had a, a wonderful, I think it's wonderful, habit when they were migrating, um, as many tribes, especially in this area, were migratory. They would stop and camp for a while before they got to their destination. And they would stop so that their souls could catch up, they said with their bodies. And while we don't envision ourselves in that way, I think there is still that need where we need to be current with our own souls. We need the quietude, the safety of Jesus' presence in stillness. Vance Havner says it this way, Jesus knows we must come apart and rest a while or else we may just plain come apart. I would like to challenge you to put regular days 
on your calendars for tranquility and stillness and sanctuary with Jesus. And then keep your date. Treat it as sacred time and protect it. And don't worry if nothing doesn't happen. Jesus just likes to hang. He wants to be with you as you are. As we walk with Jesus, following him, we may find that his, the paths, the right paths he leads us on, can take us to places we didn't expect. The psalm says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Now, often we have, the, this phrase has been translated as the valley of the shadow of death. And certainly death can be the darkest valley we go into. But the Hebrew actually means deep darkness, deep gloom, a very dark shadow. So this can be a number of places for us, places where we, our own resources are exhausted, places where we can't trust our own senses, places where we can't see where we're going, places where we may feel numb because of grief or disappointment. I know some of you are in places like that right now. It's a wonderful thing to hear David talk about his dark places and say, I will fear no evil. And why? He says that because he knows you are with me. I find great consolation in this. When I walk through the darkest valley, the Lord no longer goes before me. Rather, he's alongside me. Isn't it interesting in that verse where the Lord has been in the third person and all of a sudden when you get to this darkest valley, the valley of the shadow, it changes to second person. You are with me. It emphasizes the nearness that David is aware of. There's a, a place in New Mexico that my kids and I visited when they were young, very young. It's called Carlsbad Caverns. Has any of you ever been there to the caverns? You have. You have. So you know about this room they have. Excuse me. This, the cavern, the one that's the deepest. Did you walk down this kind of steep pathway to get into? Am I remembering this correctly? Is this what you remember? And there's absolutely no light in there except for the, elec the electric lights that have been um, rigged up there. When you get in there, absolute quiet. All these huge stalactites and stalagmites. And then the guide says, we're going to turn off the lights and you will not be able to see anything. And I thought, well, at that time, I had pretty good eyesight. 
good eyesight at night, and I thought, I'll see something. I can look back up that pathway. I'll see something. When that, those lights went off, my eyes were useless. I could not, I couldn't tell that my hand was in front of my face. It was so dark. But my little ones who did not like the dark and were often afraid of the dark were not afraid because, you see, their daddy and I had their hands. And we told them we were right with them. And so they found it rather an adventure. When the heart can intimately trust the shepherd, the dark places become places of comfort because you are with me. And if you're going through a dark place right now, or recovering from a dark place, my prayer as I speak is that you have the comfort of his presence to know you are not alone. And the good news about this dark valley is not only that he is closer to us than ever, but that the verse says, yea, though I walk, King James, through the valley. You don't stay there. You get to pass through it. There's a way out, and there's a promise. When we emerge from our darkest valley with our shepherd still beside us, we are ushered into the house of the Lord, our Father's house. Here the pasture becomes a banquet table, the gentle pool, a cup running over with comfort and blessing. In the first two scenes, we walk beside or following the shepherd. But in the last scene, we are seated in a place of safety and honor, in a place we can call home. This is the place of belonging. When the Lord is your shepherd, you always belong. You always have a place at his table. There is nothing you can do, no place you can go, no mistake you can make that prevents you from a place in his home. That staff the shepherd holds has a long handle and it can get you and pull you right back to his side. This wonderful promise is not just about heaven, dear ones, but it's for now. You see, in belonging, the Lord says, Beloved, now we are the children of God. Amen? Now we are the children of God. Not someday when I get it together, someday when Jesus comes, someday when things are different. Beloved, now we are the children of God. We can experience that love, that belonging now. You see, belonging is our cup. In the Hebrew, a cup often represents inheritance, my portion, my part from my father. Belonging is our cup. It's our inheritance, and it's meant to be our norm. 
Your norm is belonging. You always belong. When we take Jesus as our shepherd, he puts his mark on us, the Holy Spirit that says, you are mine. You are mine. You are mine. And he puts his spirit in our hearts. And that spirit is the spirit of belonging. It cries out, Abba, Father. It means that we are always his. The voice of the shepherd resides in our hearts when we have the Holy Spirit. And so loved we can say with assurance, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house 